Judges chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Here we go as we study uh, a passage that we began the year at, and we're going to re-look at it in light of everything we're facing 10 months later. It says this in verse 1. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. If you feel broken and lost and hopeless, imagine what it was like after seven years of being pillaged by the Midianites. And if you're new to this portion of scripture, this is in the Old Testament, when the Israelites, after living 400 years in slavery to the Egyptians, God had sent the 10 plagues, part of the Red Sea, Moses and everyone traveled across. They spent 40 years in the wilderness, and eventually they will get the promised land. They have now moved into the promised land, but they're getting uh, people groups invading. So God is raising up a judge here to oversee them and lead them, a prophet. It goes on in verse 4. It says, they camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel. Neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys, they came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian was so impoverished, the Israelites, that they cried out to the Lord for help. I don't know what you're facing in your life right now, what problems, what insurmountable things you're facing, broken relationships, difficult financial outlook, loss of a job, loss of a pet, struggling in some way. I don't know. You know what you're facing. We're going through having three little kids. We're raising them. And it's like, okay, God, how do we do this? What is it that you're facing right now? Here's what I want to share with you. If you want to make the greatest impact you possibly can with your life, I believe as a Christian that the Bible teaches us it's not just the powerful, the prestigious, or the talented people. It's not the most powerful or talented human in the room that could make the biggest spiritual impact. It's the person willing to fully unleash the power of Jesus Christ in their life. And we started this year with one word as a church. It was unleash. That after six and a half years as a church, now seven years, having started in a home, to seeing all that God has done. And many of you in this room right now have either given your life to Christ in the last few years or gotten baptized or both. And that we're in a place now where we've had healthy stability and we're ready to completely unleash what God wants to do in our life in 2018. That was what we preached on from uh, Judges chapter 6 all the way back, Vision Weekend in January. And now as we have updated how that's actually going to occur, occur over the next nine days and over the next nine months, we need you. It's time to live this out and to say, God, you could do more than we could. And so I'll ask you the same question we started the year with. Will you remove the leash you and I have put on God in our lives? Like, I haven't put any leash on God. I've been following the Lord for 19 years. I had a radical life transformation and living in a fraternity house in college. And I've been following him ever since. But I often take two steps forward and one step back. It's part of the growth period. And relinquishing control in our lives is not easy. The truth is, Revelation 5 talks that compares Jesus to a lion because he was of the tribe of Judah. 
And that the lion of Judah, this untamed animal that C.S. Lewis writes about, is the only one with the power and the authority to bring not only salvation, but transform our lives and this world around us. You don't have to believe that, but I want to tell you as a pastor, I believe the scriptures teach that a Christian should view the world in which the only way that true hope is found and could be accomplished is when we fully unleash Jesus at work in our life. Doesn't mean we just pray things away or doesn't mean that uh, we just trust Jesus, it's going to be easy and all of your problems will be gone. No, it's going to take hard work and perseverance, a lot of prayer, all that stuff. But if it doesn't begin with, with him, fully unleashed in our life. We'll never see the feats we hope to accomplish occur. And I don't know about you, but rather than the Lion of Judah in my life, sometimes I prefer what I'm going to call the Prince of Puppies, right? Like this cute little Jesus that's around when I need some attention and some love in my life. And when he begins to take me somewhere I don't want to go, I grab tight onto that leash and I'm like, no! All right? Stay here. You're supposed to be cute and cuddly. Church is supposed to be about having a one-hour enjoyable experience for me as an adult while my children are entertained. (laughs) And I have delicious hot coffee with things to mix in properly. That's what it's like, right? In our American suburban hold the latte Christianity, where we apathetically live our lives as followers of Jesus, church is about a worship service we attend once a week and meets my needs. That's not what we read in Scripture. And it's not what we see in the New Testament when the early church transforms communities around them. They were just living so sacrificially, they were following him where he wanted to go. They weren't pulling him around on the leash saying, sit, Jesus, sit. What does that look like in your life? I want to read this quote. We're going to pray, and then we're going to dive into Judges chapter 6, cool? And I'm going to warn you ahead of time. There are four points. I'm going to move quick. It's a lot of content. You have that brand new program slash connect card. It's really simple. I love it. You can flip it over on the back and have plenty of room for notes. There should be a pen in the book rack in front of you. But I love this quote from Steve Addison, a pastor in Australia from Movements That Changed the World. It says, the church Jesus founded was a missionary church. You know what a missionary is, right? Like they go into a culture and they live to tell people about Jesus, both in word and deed. They share their faith and help those in need. Its existence and activities were an expression of its missionary calling. Its members were fearlessly determined to win others to faith in Jesus as the crucified and risen Messiah. Their mission field began at home in Jerusalem and Judea and extended to the ends of the earth. The goal and the purpose of their missionary work was the making of disciples and the creation of communities of disciples. And it defines disciples. Disciples were people who turned from their old ways of life, put their trust in Jesus. Did you know that in the New Testament, we don't have time to study all this, but in the New Testament, the word trust is the word pisteo. It's the exact same word they use for believe and to have faith. So in John 3, 16, when it says, whoever believes in him, in Jesus, shall have eternal life. It could also say whoever trusts in him. You can't believe and have faith in your head and not trust him in your life. That's the difficult part. Disciples were meant to put their trust in Jesus and obeyed his teaching. See, this weekend, what some of us need to do, and look, I'm not making light of anything you're going through, and I don't think it's just just trust in Jesus and your problems will be gone. But some of us, we struggle in this area because we never work our trust muscle out. 
We never get to the point where we have to have God show up on our lives because of our pride. We always keep him on that leash and under our control. I like to say, you know, Joshua got to see the sun stand still in Joshua chapter 10. But it didn't happen in chapter 1, did it? It took 10 chapters before Joshua had seen God show up enough where he gets to the point he could believe and trust that God could do something like that. I don't know what season you're in in your spiritual life of growth, but I want you to work your trust muscle out this morning. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you. Man, in this packed room, all these people came out on kind of a dreary fall weekend. Uh, Most Americans would find excuses and reasons not to do that. In some ways, that makes us spiritual leaders today. And yet we also acknowledge that all of us came in with different spiritual backgrounds. Some of us are here for the very first time. Some of us aren't Christian. They're atheists or agnostic. We started this church for people just like that, that are searching out their faith. Some of us have been hurt by other Christians. Some of us have been Christians for decades. And we need to grow and take this next season and say, God, use me. God, we're reminded of the evil happening in our world today with the shooting that happened in Pittsburgh, the shooting of a couple of our African-American friends uh, around the world. God, we, we thank you that you're still living and active, and yet there's so much evil around us, God. Please help us. Help us to take that leash off so we can be a light in a dark place. We love you. We give you this time and pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Anybody been to an amusement park recently? Anybody out there? A few of you. What about Disney? Anybody done the Disney thing lately? How many of you just loved, okay, Mary, you love Disney, right? Like some of you, you love Disney. It is the greatest thing in the world. I appreciate you, but I do not understand you. I do not understand you. Uh, thank you. <laughs> Thanks, man. Uh, I, the last time I went there, I, and don't get me wrong, the kids love it. We got three kids, and at the sun, that time, I've told this story before, but I always think of it when I think of this passage. My son, Jed, at the time, he's probably two and a half years old, and he's just a ball of energy, man. And he's a strong, tough kid. <laughs> we went to the Epcot Center. And he, at that time, we had an umbrella stroller because we thought that would be nice and light to take around the park. And we'll zoom in around. Well, he learned while he was at Epcot, he wanted to get up and run around. But Lisa, my wife, she literally physically could not catch him. So, you know, that safety belt is supposed to be for safety, but it's actually to actually keep the child in the, the seat so that they could never leave the seat, right? So we always had the safety belt on. He started learning that his legs were now long enough that he could dig his heels in on the ground so you could no longer push the cart. So you know what I did was, dads, you know what to do, right? I started the wheelie approach. (laughs) Wheeled him on those back wheels. He couldn't put his feet down. Oh, it was good times. But then when we would stop... He would get so frustrated and upset, he started putting his feet down on the ground and figuring out he could stand up with the stroller on his back and start trying to get away. Dude, I can't make this up, man. This is just how I told lots of stories. This is how he is. And we get frustrated, so then I'm holding on to him. Then he starts getting really upset because it's due for a nap by this point in the early afternoon. And so he (laughs) begins to try and get out of the seat as I'm pushing him, forcing his weight down to the point he starts ripping the seatbelt away (laughs) from the stroller. And that's when my wife and I were like, we got to get back to the hotel and get a nap. It's a little over a year ago. So we decided to start heading out of the park now, Disney, they, they are so smart, aren't they? As we're getting out of the park, we notice there's a Starbucks 
right on right as you're coming out of Epcot Center. So we went in there because Lisa and I, we're going to need coffee to get through the rest of this day. And when we were in there, the kids saw all these Mickey donuts and cookies and I don't know what else. So I think we got them like cupcakes. They got so hyped up on sugar. By this point, Jet has completely lost his ever-loving mind. And we're trying to leave the park and he's going nuts. He doesn't want to leave. He's trying to put his feet down because he realizes not only are we leaving where the cupcakes were, we're leaving the park altogether. And now he's really upset. And so he's trying to get down. I'm wheeling, trying to run out of Disney as fast as I can. When he gets so desperate for help, he begins to shout, help! Help me! I'm not making this up. I'm running through the park with a child going, help me! People looking at us thinking I'm kidnapping my own child. But that's how desperate he is. He got so fed up and frustrated. And whenever I think of that, that desperation, that's where the Israelites had finally gotten in this passage. Here's the thing. If you want to unleash God fully in your life in this moment, over these next nine days and nine months, you're going to have to get to the point of desperation where you're unafraid and unashamed like a child to cry out to the Lord for help. We're going to need to do it as a church these next nine days for sure because we don't know how the, where those funds are going to come from. It's like, okay, God, uh, we don't get to dictate the time and you're going to have to do this. We're going to hit our knees every day if this is your church home. We need you to pray. So if you're taking notes and you want to unleash the line of Judah now in your life, the first point I want to make is you got to cry out to him. Cry out to the Lord for help. Cry out to him. Look at verse 6 with me again. See, in verse 6, at the end of that passage, it, it, it said this in uh, Judges chapter 6. See, I put that up real quick. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Seven years, they've been pillaged. And they're not just being kind of, you know, like invaded. They're, they're having all of their crops destroyed, all of their livestock killed. Did you catch that in those six verses? Everything destroyed. They're hiding in caves out of fear. And for seven years, nobody does anything because they're just living in fear, completely petrified. Have you ever been completely petrified of something in your life? Something that right now that you might be facing? I encourage you, if you've faced something you were completely petrified of in your life, to declare what that is right now in your life that is causing that. What does that look like? What is it in your life right now? You think you can never get spiritually past your addictive habit, the struggle in your relationship, the struggle in your marriage, the, the, the struggle with uh, raising children, the, the things that you're facing, your boss at work. I don't know. Here's the question I want to ask you. Have you paused in all of the struggles and cried out to the Lord for help? Now, look, I'm not just going to say you, you pray and everything changes, but this one I'm going to say. If you're struggling in your marriage and your relationship, you need to get to the significant marriage seminar. We've had a great one going on all weekend. We'll have another one coming up soon. You need to get there. You need to seek out wise Christian and marriage counseling. We can even help resource you with that. You need to take it seriously. But if you don't, as a Christian, start first with crying out to the Lord for help on a daily basis, we can get all the best practices in our life but we will, we'll miss the, the Lion of Judah that has the power and authority to transform things in our lives, to make us aware of how to address the issue in the first place. I encourage you, man, cry out to him. If you're struggling financially with debt, go to the Financial Peace University. We'll offer it again soon. 
tackle that debt head on, man. Take it seriously. But if you don't cry out to the Lord for help, the best practices could just turn you into a greedy person. You could miss the whole reason that you're doing that in the first place. I don't know what it is that you're facing, but cry out to the Lord. The Israelites do that, and God is going to provide a victory for them. Look at verses 7 and 9 with me. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He's like, guys, remember how you were enslaved for 400 years? And then he finally started crying out to me, and then I showed up and I freed you to part the Red Sea, the whole thing. Well, seven years you've been invaded, and you waited this long, and then you finally cry out to me. Verse 9, I rescued you from the hands of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all of your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their lands. Guys, don't you remember what I've done in your life? Talking to people this weekend, it's so easy for us to forget how God has showed up in the past and we begin to lose hope that he could do any transformation in our life again. Remember what he has done. Number one, if you're taking notes, cry out. Cry out to the Lord for help. Number two, you got to change then. And this may be the most difficult part. You have to be willing to change your definition of what's possible in your life. To see your life through the eyes of the Lord, through God, that the Lion of Judah fully unleashed in your life, Jesus Christ's power, the resurrection power in your life could transform the area that you feel hopeless in. But if you struggle with that, and you're like, oh, that's easy to say. You're not alone. Gideon, the leader here that God raises up, has the same feelings. Look at verse 13. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Why are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Womp, womp. <laughs> right? Like, that's how we get. Uh, it still happens to me today. You start comparing. You, you get on social media, and you see those Instagram photos, and you start comparing your life to someone else. Whew. That's trouble. So I wish, I wish my husband was like him. I wish she was like this. I wish I was, I wish I was a better mom. I wish I was better at my job. I wish I was as successful as that guy. I wish my kids were well behaved like them. And then some moms are like taking pictures in their house impromptu and there are no dirty dishes or laundry on the floor. And you're just like, what's wrong with me? And we quickly allow external things to begin to define our identity and self-worth. Scripturally speaking, the only things that should determine, because that's what's happening to Gideon here, right? He's seeing they're being invaded, and he begins to say, well, this, nothing could change, God. This is just how it's going to be. And he's got to change his definition of what is possible to stop comparing it to other things in his life. Many of we, us need to learn that the only thing that has permission to find our identi- define our identity is Christ alone. That's it. Jesus was defined only by being a son of the living God. When he's baptized in that moment with the, the Father and the, the Spirit as the dove descends, and he says, um, you know, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. That is where Jesus finds his identity to go do his three years of active ministry. There is nothing else in your life that should define you than being a son or a daughter of the living God. That's it. And so when you are that, when you find your identity in him, it changes your definition of what's possible in your life, of how he could use you, of how he could transform that area of hardship. 
And some of us go, yeah, but you don't understand, not me. Look, look, if the Bible is true, then anyone in this room right now should have the, uh, the idea that God could use you to lead a Bible study, to start an outpost, to start a ministry, to share your faith and word and deed with your friends and family, to transform the culture around you, to be a light in a dark world. Anybody. Because it's not about talent and ability. It's about whether God is unleashed in your life or not. Or are you still trying to hold on to control? Man, that preaches to me after 19 years of following Jesus. Now I'm going to get him back to sit, Jesus. And he wants to say, no, let, let me lead you. Let me lead you. The third point, none of us like this one. No one, we hate this word in our culture. Conform. Ooh, that's evil. I got a whole separate message I'd love to do sometime on how enlightenment thinking and individualism has affected our view of our society around us in 21st century culture, but that's for another time. What I'd like to do today with you is just admit that in our individualistic culture, we don't like things like conformity. But the truth is, what he teaches us, if we unleash him in our life, we're not leading now, we're following. And so we conform to his leadership, his perspective, his worldview to the scriptures to say, okay, God, how can I become one of those disciples that trusts and obeys you in a way that I could see you show up more and more in my life? Because the greatest world changers the world has ever seen has not been the most talented people. A lot of times we don't even remember those people. It's people like Mother Teresa that so conformed her passion to Christ for those who were broken and hurting and lost that she did something that no one else in that society had seen accomplished. That's what it takes. That's what world changing looks like. See, look at verse 14 with me and to 16. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? God says, look guys, I know you feel like this isn't possible, but if you change your definition of what is possible and then you conform and adjust your perspective to my eternal one, I'm telling you it is. And look what Gideon does here in verse 15. But Lord, Gideon asks, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. You may not be an Old Testament expert, but you can grasp this. Manasseh was not one of the good tribes. In fact, in parts of scripture, they were known for being one of the bad ones. And he says, look, I'm, I'm from Manasseh, right? Like, I'm from Kentucky, man. You don't understand what this... It's like, uh, we lo I love Kentucky, just not their basketball, but. And not only that, but he's like, I'm from the weakest family. He's like, you don't understand, I'm from the, the worst tribe, the weakest clan, the most loser family in the whole nation of Israel. Why, what are you doing, God? And he's like, no, but it's because it's not, it's not about your talent and ability or what clan you're from, what your socioeconomic status is, your ethnicity, your social cultural background. What matters is, is whether you conform and adjust your perspective, my eternal one, because then I can use you. Which, by the way, Gideon won't only have victory eventually in chapter 7 and defeat the Midianites. He will do it not with tens of thousands of soldiers like they would have thought, not with 3,000 soldiers, but with 300 soldiers. Defeat all of these uh, Midianites that they compared to locusts. There were so many of them. And it was like God was saying, look, I can use you. 
but you have to adjust your perspective, conform your worldview to his. We have people in our church who have done that very thing, been transformed, given their life to Christ, been baptized here. I've mentioned some of these stories over the years, like Christina Huffines, a single mom, gave her life to Christ, started Donline Divas, doing this pantry that's just grown like crazy. It's a nonprofit now because God so transformed her. She wanted to reach people like her. And then Rich Abbott, same story. I saw Rich around here somewhere and started wrestling theology, came to Christ through pub theology a number of years ago, and then wanted to reach people like him. And the, like WWE wrestling, now that once a month they put on a wrestling show, put a ring right here, and it's it's not it's like legit wrestling ring. Don't come there for like Christian wrestling. It's like an outreach event, and I'm telling you, it's so cool. We have had more people come to faith in Jesus over the last year through that ministry than about any other area of ministry in the church. Uh, I saw John Gammon here this weekend, who he's shared this on video before, but came out of a prison and. Um, for 18 years now is ministering to, to um, high school students trying to reach people like him before they make the decisions that he made. And it's so cool to see how God can transform and lead other people. I want to show you just three people who in the last year have been baptized and they wanted to share their stories of transformation. Some of them have been around church or spirituality for a while and some hadn't. And this is why we're going north, south, east, and west. We're doing what's in that brochure we're going to have five new churches because we want to believe that God can multiply his kingdom today and have a whole lot more stories like this. Let's watch this together. Hi, I'm Jackie O'Keefe. Um, while I've only been attending Mercy Road for about the past year, I feel like I've been a part of Mercy Road since before they even had a church building. Uh, so I definitely feel at home here. I'm Ryan. Um, I've been at Mercy Road for a year. I've been church hopping and I couldn't figure out I couldn't figure out a place where I felt comfortable. And when I first came to Mercy Road, it felt like home. Hi, my name is Marcella Collins, and almost one year ago, I attended Mercy Road for the first time. I was emotionally and spiritually lost and looking for answers after the loss of my son. How did Mercy Road lead me to becoming baptized? That is a very easy question to answer. I joined Rooted um, and was about six weeks or so through uh, the Rooted program and I just felt extremely convicted that I needed to take one step further. It was a calling for me to get baptized again. I had the Holy Spirit inside of me weighing heavy and speaking to my heart and to my soul. So I finally dropped to my knees and I asked God for help. At that moment, I knew it was time for change in my life. As I progressed through Rooted each week and established those relationships and asked the tough questions and got those answers I've always wanted, I felt more and more convicted that I needed to become baptized. I know with baptism, you just get dipped in water, and but it's it's more than that. It's it's having that relationship with God and and putting God first. What I needed was to be baptized, for my heart and my soul to be cleansed. Shortly four months later, I got baptized, and it was the most glorious day of my life. To see my family and my friends present that day to witness my moment of accepting God into my life really has changed my life. I have a vision that I've never had before, and I just really want to say thank you to Mercy Road and thank you to God for this new journey of life that I'm walking, and I know that I'm a child of the King.
I love stories like that of what God is doing today in our lifetime. And thank you to those three for being brave enough to share those. We want to have more of those stories told. Stories like that are happening all the time in our church. And you may not realize that. And so next week, we're kind of changing direction a little bit. We've spent several months kind of talking about the mission of Jesus and the values and what we're doing as a church. And next week, we want to start sharing the stories of Mercy Road. For the next uh, month, we're doing a new teaching series called This is Mercy Road. It's going to be kind of like, you know, the This is Us TV series theme. It's going to be super cool as we tell the backstories of people and the life change that has occurred here. And I just want to tell you, do not miss next weekend and bring friends with you. It's a great outreach opportunity because I'm telling you, we're having a couple of staff members share their stories that have never been told here. And every week, we're going to have somebody different on video sharing that. I'm going to be preaching next week. And man, invite, 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 because I really believe it's going to be a superpower week. I don't usually take weekend time to say something like that, and I just wanted to say that so that you don't miss it. But as we close out our time together, I want to remind you of a few things, and that's this. See, to get stories like that, we don't set goals around here. We set obsessions. <laughs> I don't... We're just obsessed with accomplishing the mission of Jesus. Like when you see that brochure there, that's not just like a little bit of light thought was put into that. Like, we're going to be obsessed until we see those four churches actually operating and accomplished, not because we're great, but because he is. And we want to have that type of view that if we conform to him in just our perspective, anything is possible. Partially because, I don't know, it's just the way we're wired as leaders. I don't know. I've always been that way, man. When I was a kid in the neighborhood, I used to play basketball with my buddy John O'Connor, and (laughs) he would always be like, Josh! This, why are you playing so hard? This isn't the NBA finals. And I was like, I don't know. I just, how, how I am. Last, uh, yesterday I coached, and I can't share this because it's going online, but I coached a fourth grade basketball team and the opposing coach was a former NBA player. And afterwards, my wife came up to me and she goes, Josh, why were you yelling and more competitive than the former professional basketball player coaching against you? I don't know. It's just the way God made me. And I want to tell you, I don't think I would lead you well in this season of our church if we didn't live that kind of obsessive mentality of how do we sacrifice everything in our lives to reach those who don't know them yet, to become that missionary-driven church rather than the ones that just want a nice program to come to on the weekends. And so I invite you to join with me and us in this adventure together. And it's going to take us, number four, the final point, to get crazy. We're going to have to get a little crazy around here. We're going to take one medium to large size church and turn it into three to four medium to small size churches and eventually five. It's going to get crazy over the next nine months. And we need your help. We need you to invest. And we want uh, your lives, uh, we want you to actually join one of those launch teams, get involved with Demo Day, start living all of this out and believe that God could use you. And what I love about Judges 6, do you know what Gideon actually does? They don't get victory till Judges 7 with the 300 people. But in Judges 6, verses 22 to 24, just look at 24 with me. Gideon sees an angel there and he's going to set up an altar And verse 24, so Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it the Lord is peace. To this day, it stands in Ophrah of the Bizraites, that he builds an altar and gives sacrifices and worships God in that place before he gave him the victory. That's counterintuitive the way we think, isn't it? We think like, God, do this for me, and then I'll worship you. And Gideon 
says, no, 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 no. I'm going to worship you because I've changed my, my view and my definition of possible. I've conformed my perspective to yours. I've cried out to you. And now I'm going to get crazy enough to even worship you before the victory even occurs. Because I'm going to work that trust muscle out a little bit and say, God, you're going to have to show up. Because all of us want to see the Red Sea part in our life. But no one wants to stand at the edge of the Red Sea with Pharaoh and his army coming to kill them. But it was only when Moses and the Israelites put themselves in that position that God provided that miracle. And some of us need to begin to practice our faith and our trust a little bit in small increments and then more and more to see him show up more in our lives. I want to encourage you to do two things as we close our service out together. If Mercy Road is your home church, I told you we would do this, that there is a commitment card on your seat there. If Mercy Road is your home church and you couldn't attend one of the dinners, if you're new to Mercy Road, ignore this for just a moment. But I want to encourage you to prayerfully consider making a three-year commitment with us. However that looks for you and your family, not about equal giving, but about equal sacrifice. And here's why. Because number one, obviously we need your help right now, not just financially, but with all the things happening, it's going to take a lot of new people getting involved. And number two, your faith is going to grow because of it. I guarantee you. When my wife and I moved here from Southern California to start the church in our house, I'd never done anything like that. I didn't even like talking to people about money. And I got convicted, man, Jesus talks a lot about this because one of the things that rules our life. And I began to go, okay, Lisa, what does this look like in our lives? And the staff over the last couple of years has asked me to share more details of how we've seen this lived out in our lives. And I want to share this with you, not as a humble brag, but because I want to demonstrate that God is real. He is living and active. When we bought this building as a three-year-old church, we asked a church that didn't have the resources to raise the funds to purchase this property. And we saw it all happen. And when my wife and I were making a decision about what we would do at that time, we thought, man, we want to try for the first time in our lives to really trust God in a way we never have before. We'd always tithed and done those sorts of things, but to go, man, we don't know how this is going to be accomplished. And we made a two-year commitment. I never shared, I don't think you should know what the right hand you know, and the left hand are doing together. I, I don't like sharing stuff like this, but the staff asked me to be specific. And my wife and I made that year a $25,000 commitment over two years when we came to purchase this property. And that seemed ludicrous to us, to us. I mean, not to you, but to us, that seemed insane. At the time, we had $88 in our savings account and $150 in our checking account, which is really bad uh, Dave Ramsey math if you're (laughs) doing that. But we did it because we felt like God was asking us to, to set a standard of generosity. And you know what happened? Not only did we pay off the entire two year commitment, the $25,000, we did it in 18 months. Not because we were great, but because I became really good at online theft. You really got to look into it, guys. It's <laughs> amazing. No. I'm obviously kidding. Nothing unethical. Nothing that lasts integrity. You know what kind of stuff? It's not even that we were really that good at it either. We obviously we got serious and started saving and doing all those things. But you know what happened? We had uh, somebody, we had a letter in the mail that said Lisa had $6,000 in stock from an employer when she was 19 years old that she didn't know about. (laughs) We had family members just out of the blue contact us and send us funds for thousands of dollars. Like we didn't ask for it. We didn't say anything. Didn't mention. We didn't tell anybody we made this financial commitment even. And it was just incredible. 
the glory goes to God because the Lion of Judah is real. He's living and active. He is powerful. And so I invite you, if Mercy Road is your home church, to participate with us. But then beyond that, to not just talk about financially, what does that look like to participate, but to get onto that launch team. One of them, join them, get out of here, live on mission. That's what we're about. Help those in need, share our faith, transform the course of human history in the state. We're not gonna reach a million people for Christ if it's come and attend. It's gotta go out and reach. What does that look like in your life to unleash God fully in your life, man? And some of us need to start today, October 28, 2018 is gonna be your moment. We're gonna finally take the leash off of God and allow him to use your life. And so I wanna invite you to surrender everything in your life to him. Don't be ashamed of him. Because of his crucifixion and his resurrection, anybody can draw near to him, no matter what your baggage or your background is. We have seen people who were so far from God, they didn't even feel comfortable walking in the doors a place like, in a place like this to receiving the grace and forgiveness of Jesus, repenting of their life, changing everything, to going on to lead and transform and lead other people to Christ. And they've seen the benefit of the wild journey of following Jesus and how much more joy-filled their life is because of it. And so I want to invite you to live your life in that manner because we're all dying. We don't know when. We're not taking anything with us in the hearse, man. So we're going to live this life in every way we can to reach people who don't know Jesus and help people in need and racism and the problems of social oppression in our life and to be a light in a dark world. And that's what I want to invite you into to be a part of that world-changing movement. And if you attend Mercy Road a decade from now, great. But I don't care because you're a part of the kingdom of God that is on the move around the world and will not end until Jesus returns. And so I invite you to join his family. Will you pray with me, God? There are so many of us in this room right now who are attending online where we have made you a little caveat of our life, a little puppy on a leash. And rather than living our life in a manner that we control you, we are now going to relinquish complete control of our life. Admit we need you and surrender our lives to you and have hope again that this life could look differently. If that's you in the room or attending online, I invite you to pray this silently as I pray it out loud. God, I confess that I need you. Forgive me for my wrongdoing. I thank you for your forgiveness and grace and I receive it. And then, God, I repent of my ways. I want to change. I do that beautiful thing, and I surrender my time, my talents, my treasures to you fully. Lord Jesus, I give you everything in my life. Now use me to be a light in this dark world. We love you, and we give you our time together. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.